Hello, friends, and welcome to the National Deer Association's Coffee and Deer Podcast. I'm Nick Pinizzato, the host, co-hosted by our friend, the doctor, Mr. Mike Groman. And today we're going to talk about what you have to be doing right now, or what you should be doing right now to be successful in the deer woods, because deer seasons are open everywhere at this point. The doctor and I like to uh, have a solo conversation without a guest on this once in a while, because we think we know something. You know, you can be the judge of that. We may not know anything, but we think we know something. And so uh, we're going to tell you what we know, and you can take it or leave it. At any, at any rate, we hope we entertain you at least. But before we go too far, let's say hello to a man that already has meat in the freezer, the doctor, Mr. Mike Groman. I know. How about it? It didn't take long to blow the dust off from last year, did it? This is uh, becoming a thing with you, you know, opening day deer. I'm going to give you a chance to tell the story here a little bit later, but uh, yeah, you didn't mess around. You just, you went out and just did the thing. Well, the crazy thing is I was driving home with that deer in the back of the truck. And I thought the last time that I was on that property where I harvested that deer, I was hauling back another deer. Cause I, I actually shot one late season last year that filled my last tag. I was done hunting for the season and then came back out on the first evening and filled another tag. So that's two tags back to back and two hunts on that place. So, so basically when, when deer see you pull in, they should just jump in the bed of the truck. That'd be easier. I wouldn't have to lift them. <laughs> well, we'll get into the details. <laughs> uh, in hindsight, I, I didn't go out opening morning cause I didn't walk in my door till 3 AM. Get into that in a second. But uh, I I really should have shot the deer that was standing there at 21 yards feeding had I known you were going to kill one because we had done this before. We had an opening day a couple of years ago where we both killed a deer, but I didn't know. I, I was too t- stinking tired, frankly, to deal with a deer. <laughs> but if you're following my Instagram, I posted some video of it and I just, yeah, the deer standing there at 21 yards. And I, I said I didn't really like the shot and yeah, I, I wasn't in love with it, but that's a deer I would have shot most cases. But I didn't, but I should have because we could have done that again. But anyway, we'll get into your story here in just a second. Uh, but yeah, I the reason I was coming in at three in the morning, I'll just mention this. I, I've had a heck of a travel week. So uh, I guess this was last week. So we had the Association for Fish and Wildlife Agencies annual meeting. And this year it was in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And if you if, if you hear the word Canada and you just think of this big wilderness area north of the United States. You might not know where Calgary is. So uh, Calgary is all the way over on the western side of Canada. So just think of like uh, Bozeman, Montana, but north, about seven hours if you're driving. And so that's a long flight. And before I went out there, there was some talk of potentially getting on the Meat Eater podcast, but it nothing was set in stone. So I pretty much just packed for that trip out to Calgary. I flew, uh, and then while I was there, literally the day after I got there, I said, "Oh, we would like you to have like you to have you on Meat Eater on Friday." And so when you go on Meat Eater, it's not like coming on the Coffee and Deer Show where we just zoom you in. You can be anywhere. Uh, you have to go to the studio. And so, uh, unless you're our friend Dr. Kristen Schuler, if you caught that episode, uh, Steve Renell actually went to the lab there in Cornell, which is pretty cool. But anyway, um, you have to go to the studio 
And so I literally flew home from Calgary uh, Wednesday evening, got up on Thursday, cut my grass, <laughs> and then headed back to the airport and caught a flight to Bozeman, Montana. I didn't arrive till midnight in Bozeman, got up, did the Meat Eater podcast and trivia, and uh, was back on a plane landing, thanks to a nice weather delay in Minneapolis because of thunderstorms, landing in Pittsburgh at about 1 a.m. Uh, by the time I got to my truck and drove home, it was 3 a.m., and so there wasn't going to be any hunting. So um, that was a whirlwind tour, Mike. I was sad not to get out opening morning, but sometimes uh, duty calls, and I hope you all heard that episode of Meat Eater Podcast. It was a lot of fun and trivia. And got to do it with Levi Morgan, which is kind of neat because I knew Levi, and he lives just a couple hours south of me here, not even two hours south. So we're almost neighbors. Anyway. Yeah, that's it. Well, and also one more thing is you just drove down to Virginia yesterday and then rolled back this morning. So I did. We are premiering our documentary, Wild Tale. I haven't talked a lot about that because it's not available for everybody just yet. But in select cities in the South, we've been premiering this. Kip Adams has covered the first few. And uh, I did the one in Richmond, Virginia, just last evening. So, yeah, that's a it's not a horrible drive. It's five hours, though. It's, you know, it's a lot of podcast time. And so, uh, it, actually, I'm going to come back to that. But anyway, drove down last evening. It was a great premiere. The, the uh, Division of Wildlife Resources did a fantastic job. Down there, my friend Paige Pearson. Paige, if you're listening, you did a, a great job organizing that event. And uh, yeah, it was good. We showed the premiere. We had, Mike, we had six members of our, we have a, a branch in Virginia Tech University come over. They drove over three hours to be part of the premiere, which is awesome. That's dedication. Excellent. That's dedication. And you know that college students are indeed very busy, but they're all ate up with, with NDA. And so that was exciting and fun. But anyway, I got up at four o'clock this morning and drove back from Richmond so that I could avoid DC traffic. But I, you know, I, I mentioned listening to podcasts, which is what I do. And I'm listening to like all hunting podcasts. And I thought, you know, I'm going to pick some out. And I was listening to this one, Mike, and I tried to pull a, a, a Mike Groman here and just like look up <laughs> obscure podcasts and just hear what people are doing. Okay. Yeah. And so I found one. I'm not going to name it because... It was just sad. Like the guest they had is actually a, it's an, it's a known person. Okay. An older person that's, you know, been there, done that. And so he's actually kind of aging out of the industry, but man, the negativity, like how, how bad it is now compared to how it used to be. And the negativity was all around that. There are just too many people in the woods because he used to have a lot of areas to himself in the past and now he doesn't. And that's terrible. And that he blames the, the DNRs for trying to basically just make a bunch of money. Okay, um, keep going. Yeah. And so I'm thinking to myself, if we ever had a guest like that, we're ending the show. Like, we're not going to continue. So anyway, I was just kind of depressed. So I had to find better podcasts. So I actually listened to um, Wired to Hunt podcast and listened to our friend Mark Kenyon and Tony, Tony Peterson talk about the bucks they've already shot this season. And then I felt better again. I felt like that was like a podcast shower, but uh, <laughs> I mean, come on, man. Like just, there's room for everybody out there. Let's, let's embrace, embrace participation in our sport. Yeah, for sure. I find that, uh, I shouldn't say I find that surprising, but as you said before, and you've said it many times is that this platform, you know, the podcast platform, everybody can have a voice and 
in in all reality is this individual's voice any less important than ours and the answer is no but i mean every time that we log on and we start this i always think before i get start talking is that how do i want to present myself so that my children will be proud of me and and that's really kind of the approach that i have because you can really go off on rants and there's are some things that hit me a little bit more personally than others but literally we're we're trying to a entertain b educate but literally i still want to make sure that i am behaving in a manner and representing myself and something i love and very passionate about in a manner that is going to be accessible to anyone in the world for as long as this platform is still available how do I want to be remembered or how do I want to be looked at? And I, I would want to be looked at in a way that I was fair, but positive. Well, now suddenly I feel a sense of great pressure here. You should. <laughs> I thought we were just talking about deer and now all of a sudden we're changing lives. Now I do feel pressure. No, I know. What is it changing lives? I'm, cha I'm just making sure that I'm <laughs> representing myself in, yes. in a way that I would be proud of. I mean, instead of going out and, and ranting and ex expending a lot of time and effort on negative energy. I just find that very, it's again, that every, it, you know, different people make the world go around. I get it, but. Yeah, but have fun. Okay. That, this should be yeah. entertainment. It should be fun. And there's sometimes there are serious topics, but anyway, yeah, I just thought I'd share that with you. So, hey, this is an Ask NDA Anything episode, and this is gonna be full on deer hunting episode here, okay? And so I picked a couple questions that came in that, that hit that. And I also, sometimes we get some that we've answered in the past and it's okay, we can rerun those, but I try to pick out ones when I can that we haven't answered before. And so here's a couple good ones. And this is timely because I was literally just in Virginia uh, as of a few hours ago. Uh, Steve from Virginia, have you ever used a scent dripper over a scrape? And if so, what were the results? So um, Mike, I'll let you go first on that one. Um, this is a loaded question because from my perspective, and this is strictly only my perspective, my scent usage has changed. So have I used a dripper over a scrape? And the answer is yes. And what was the results is I did not see any difference in deer activity because of that dripper. However, I will have to say now I'm using different scents. They're all synthetic. They seem to be a, a little bit differently bioengineered to really um, stimulate deer to come into those locations and put them in front of the camera. And so with that being said, I don't believe I've given them a fair shake now using a dripper with the scents that I'm using because I've had really good luck with these scents and I have a lot of confidence in them. So I guess that's the best way that I can answer that question. Yeah, yeah. So thinking back, uh, so Wildlife Research Center has their scent dripper, and uh, we had Sam Burgesson on, and he told us how that got invented. Like his dad was literally like in the bathtub, and uh, and, and was watching how you know came up with the idea to to d deliver scent the way that they do with the scent dripper. But uh, yeah, I I have certainly used these in the past. I don't where I hunt now is in a chronic wasting disease zone, so I can't use natural urine, but I could use synthetic urine in them. And um, yeah, I th what, the one thing I will say, and this, I don't know if it increased the deer activity, but one thing it didn't seem to do was decrease it or spook deer off. And so whether or not deer were coming in and using 
the scrape that I put together because they were just curious of the earth or if it was the urine or the combination of both, I would say that, yes, I have seen them work. And I know some people that swear by them and love to use them. So, well, yeah, and give one it a more try. thing, yeah, one more ahead. thing, if I may, sorry for interrupting you, but um, when we talk about using those drippers and we're using cameras, I, we also can't say that did a deer come in downwind off camera. And so I'd have to say, maybe possibly try it and make your own, make your own judgment on that. Yeah. Give it a try. Why not? All right, Mike, believe it or not, we rarely get questions from Pennsylvania, but we got one today. Okay. And this is one that was actually delivered directly to me uh, verbally. Okay. So this is someone I know, Sean from Pennsylvania. He says it's been unseasonably warm in the area and hasn't felt like archery season, which is true. It's been in the eighties here. Uh, but my target buck has been moving during daylight hours, which he verified. I saw the trail camera pictures. He says, should I get after him or should I wait till it cools off? I'm a little concerned about meat spoilage as well. And I'm kind of laughing as I'm selling this because I kind of laughed at him when he told me. I said, well, dude, you just said you, you showed me pictures. It's moving in the daylight. Like, I don't if it was a thousand degrees, I'd be out there right now. <laughs> so, um yeah, I mean, if, if you got if you have observation, whether it be photos or scouting, whatever, that the deer you're after is moving, we're going to talk about this more in a second here, what causes deer to move and not move, then by all means, get after that animal, because this is a mature buck we're talking about here. Uh, he is only going to be predictable for so long until he's either hunted too much or some other factor comes into play. And so I told him definitely get on that deer. And then as far as the meat spoilage point, uh, the other thing I told him was, listen, if you, you make a good shot and you make a, a reasonably quick recovery, you're not going to have to worry about it. I mean, remember, a deer internal temperature is about 100 degrees to begin with. And so um, it takes it takes longer than you might think for a deer to spoil. Now, if you hit one through the stomach that's just loaded with bacteria and the deer takes a long time to expire, you're you're probably asking for trouble there. But if you make your typical, you know, uh, vital hit, double lung hit, heart shot uh, that deer is going to expire quickly and you're going to have time to get it out of the woods uh, get them field dressed i told him you shoot this deer you call me we'll get them field dressed as quickly as possible we'll get the hide off of it and get them quartered up for you and uh, you'll be fine what do you think mike was that good advice or not i think that was perfect advice exactly you just need to make sure that you know, you might have to make a call and like call and work. Hey, I'm going to be a couple, you know, a couple hours late if it's in the morning, but if it's in the evening, you have all night, you know, it's just, it's just risk versus the reward. I mean, go after him and shoot your shot while he's giving you the opportunity to do so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the main reason I don't hunt when it's real hot is because it's uncomfortable for me. I don't like swatting at mosquitoes and I don't like sweating and all that. So it's not as much about deer movement. It's more about my own comfort level. All right, let's go ahead and get into the discussion, Mike. What we're talking about here today, and we wanted this to be very timely. Okay, you're listening to this on October 11th, so this is the perfect time to hear this. And that is, what should you be doing right now to be successful in the deer woods? A lot of our focus here, we're going to talk about antler deer, okay, but this could be antlerless deer as well. Okay, if I go out this evening, my, I'm really looking for an antlerless deer. I want to fill a doe tag. Um, not that I wouldn't shoot a buck, so it could be buck or doe here. Mike, before we go too far, though, you you were successful opening day. Tell us tell us what you did to fill your tag on opening night. 
Well, I, we had, um, which was odd, it, we had a north-northeast wind on the first day in Pennsylvania. And so this evening hunt is what I'm talking about. And for it being a north-northeast wind, the temperature was 83 when I got out of the truck. It was hot. And I was hunting close to the edge of the property or close to a road. And that's one technique that I use early in the season is I don't press in very far unless, as in a question that we had recently from Sean, unless I have intel that I should be pressing in. But I always hunt the fringes early in the season. And we have locations. This is a, a little creek bottom stand location that's sandwiched between in between a creek bottom and a road. And there's a small little um, woodlot that literally funnels down the deer from coming off of a ridge they hit this bottom and then the ridge on the opposite side of the road funnels them up in an opposite direction so this is a really nice little nick down pinch point it's only literally about 110 yards long and it's literally only 50 yards wide it's not very big and um there is a little crab apple tree in that one southwestern western corner and there's a little oxbow in the creek that the deer will actually use to come across. So the movement is very predictable. They go, we can actually take almost 600 yards of a, a mountain and ridge and whittle it right down to within, you know, they don't use half of that 100 and 110 yard swash. They only lose, use about 50 yards of it. So it's like 50 by 50 is where I've narrowed them down to. And I've just picked a stand location that would favor that Northwest wind. And the one crazy thing is, is the way that the sun sets behind the mountain, the most easterly side of that mountain starts to cool first. And what happens is the thermals will start to drop and pull and they pull down and they actually move across toward the west, which is crazy. And um, that you have to account for that shift if the deer show up after the sun's behind the mountain. And so I set up accordingly so that I could still catch them crossing that oxbow and approaching this crab apple tree and sure enough about you know 20 minutes before the sun went down i noticed a tail flick in in the thicket where that apple tree is and so i got up got ready to go i mean i was in my saddle i just swung around the tree to position the tree between the deer and i and it was just a single deer all by itself in there just having a great time eating and the deer comes out i already had spots ranged i said if they come out that's i have a 30 yard shot there and i have a 32 yard shot a little bit further down the trail the deer came out to that 30 yard trail but didn't give me a shot yet turned surprisingly walked right at me and um then turned at 18 yards and gave me a broadside shot and there was no doubt that i was going to take it and so sure enough i did and i had my first deer for the season which was a nice doe and congratulations on that. And I got your text right as I was leaving my place or somewhere in that area is when I noticed it. And then there's like a 15 minute dead zone when I leave there. And I'm thinking, oh, Mike probably thinks that I'm ignoring him because uh, I acknowledge that you got the deer. But then my next question was going to be, do you want me to stop by and help? But I did eventually ask you that. But this this deer was very cooperative. It helped you out a little bit. Yeah, obviously, uh, the deer ran back in the direction it came from, which was toward that mountain. And there is a gas well there that I can access the road. And it literally expired 20 yards from the trail that we used to get in and out of that chunk of woods when we have to retrieve a deer. And this, I just had to back the truck up. And then it was literally probably, what, a 60, 70 yard drag at the most? Yeah. Back to the truck. So, 
a lot more doable than other other things we've encountered there. But uh, well, that's good. You're on the board. Yes. And you used your previous knowledge of the area and you knew what to expect. It was well scouted, even though you hadn't really been in there a lot this year. You've been in there a lot in the past. You know how deer movement is and it paid off. And so, Mike, right now I'm hearing a lot of experts and a lot of people that aren't experts, but think they're experts, which accounts for most deer hunters, <laughs> including us. Yeah. Um, they talk about early season being a great time to kill a mature buck. And there's truth to that. Uh, the, the, the main reasons for that, in my opinion, and I'll get your opinion, Mike, I think, I think one of the biggest thinking factors is they're not aware that they're being hunted yet. So they haven't been bothered. Feeding patterns tend to be pretty predictable. But I would caution and say, while that is true, it can be a really small window in that early season, unless you're just fortunate enough, you've got tons of acres and you can, you know, move, just you hunt, hunt one buck one day and a different buck a different day. It can be a small window. So your opinion on that? Good time to kill a big buck? It is. I mean, I'll have to say that there's a lot of factors that come into play in that. Like you said, if there is a flush of immediate, and I want to say immediate, like week before, two weeks before preseason scouting, and you were getting a really good pattern first two weeks of September, first three weeks of September, and then if it's a property you have to share and scouting becomes an issue, that might change that buck's pattern. But if you have most recent information or really good intel up to a day or two prior to your onset of hunting and that buck has been consistently performing a pattern that you understand based on the wind time of day you know temperature weather food source etc you have a really good chance of putting an arrow in that deer if that deer is moving in daylight Yes, but you have to understand it from stop to start. And that's, that takes a lot of work and a lot of effort. And I think that's why people say, oh, it's, it's too hard to kill a, a big buck early. You, you can do it, but the amount of effort that goes in is a lot more effort than people, I think, believe. Yeah. Unless you just get lucky, that happens too. I've killed um, a really nice Pennsylvania 10 point on opening morning. Uh, it's been several years ago now. And also, this was the second day. I probably would have killed him the first day. This was in Kentucky. I killed a beautiful velvet buck in Kentucky. Um, that yeah, what the day the day before he was on his way in, and we got hit by a nasty thunder and lightning storm. So he bailed. I bailed. That was the end of it. And I got him the next day. Um, so it can happen. I've seen it. I've you know hunted enough to see it. Doctors hunted enough to see it. Um, but the window is small. Okay, and so we're. We're seeing pictures of deer being taken, hearing stories of deer being taken. The window's small. You got you to gotta be prepared for sure. But let's talk about some limiting factors. And again, we're focusing primarily on this time period that's right now. So, you know, the, you know for, well, let's just call it October, the first couple of weeks, the third week of October, that it's the pre-rut technically, okay? The earliest stages of the pre-rut. And so here's, here's what I was thinking for limiting factors, Mike. So I think weather is a big one. And so... We know that, and I'm going to get into this a little bit later, I'm going to cite some articles that we've written that talk about factors of deer movement, um, but significant heat, so a significant swing in temperature could certainly impact deer movement. So let's say it's 70 degrees, a significant ri rise in temperature, if you will. It goes up to 90 degrees right now. It's going to, it's going to have an impact, okay? But also, 
um, if, if we also have sort of like one of these monumental rain events, like we've had, uh, you know, in this part of the country, we get hurricanes that we don't get the hurricane because we're not right on the coast. But what we get is the aftermath and we get these two or three days of just nothing but downpours the whole time. Those types of things um, can impact movement. But, uh, you know, that that's one of the first things that comes to mind. Uh, so weather. But what about cold fronts? This is an interesting one. So uh, this is going to be the first of many pieces of uh, information I'm going to cite here today. So I'm going to direct you, and, I, and I'll put links to these in the show notes. Cold fronts may get hunters on their feet, but bucks answer a different call. And so, Lindsay, if you're listening to this, you're smiling right now because you wrote this. And whenever you did write it, you said, just so you know, I'm going to write this. And a lot of people are going to be upset about it. <laughs> and he was right. And he mission accomplished. So, Mike, the science says, the research shows us that a cold front does not really impact deer movement. Your thoughts? Take take Lindsay to task here. Agree? Disagree? Well, the one thing for me being, you know, from the medical field, you have to agree with science. But with that being said, when we talk about science, we are looking at certain things in perspective of where the study was performed. So, you know, but you and I have been there where we've been out on a beautiful day, you get out of the truck, it's crisp, there's frost on everything, that cold breeze is blowing, bluebird clear sky, you're thinking, you know, it's like November 9th, you're thinking this is the day, something is, you know, I'm going to see a giant today. And you sit there and don't see a deer. And you then you start to wonder, well, why didn't I see that deer? And I think that article covers that very clearly. But you have to look at it with a grain of salt, like, is is Lindsay's article accurate? And I believe it is. But could someone sit there and poke holes in it from a different geographical region in a different situation? So um, the thing is, yes. So with any like anything else, we are always as hunters playing the odds. We're playing the statistical likelihood of it being a good day for us. So, you know, for those people that say, oh, it's a nice cold frosty day on November the 9th and, you know, blue hour breeze out of the north, I'm killing one today. You might, but then again, you might go there and see nothing. So um, with that being said, I've always said, if you're gonna kill one, you gotta be out. So making sure that you're putting time in a good stand and being there and putting in the effort, is always better than you know trying to outthink the deer because you never know what happened the day before that night before etc that's going to make an impact on them yeah and you touched on some things that i want to mention here related to that um and so um, the, the psychologist in me is going to come out here a little bit okay biases are a very very real thing and one of the interesting things about biases is that a lot of times people don't even recognize that they have them. And so it's why sometimes you might have a buddy that will argue a point that you know is wrong, but in his mind it's right, and you're not going to convince him otherwise. Or maybe you're the one with the bias, and he is right, but you just can convince that he's not, right? So biases are a funny thing, and I think one of the things that come into play here is, number one, a lot of people, because they've been told forever that deer move better when there's a cold front coming through, is they go and they hunt when there's a cold front coming through, and that just happened to be the day they hunted. Uh, but then what they fail to do is count the days that they hunted where everything on paper lined up as if it was just going to be perfect and it was a dud. Sure. We, we sort of selectively choose not to remember those times. 
And so, um, you know, I think there's some psychology at play here. I do, I do feel like that I have been out there, particularly after a heavy rain. I have had success over the years where I get, I try to get out there within that first hour or two after a significant rain event. I'm talking like downpours type of thing. And I've seen a lot of deer movement. Now, again, though, that's not research. That's anecdotal. That's, a, that's observed. And so anytime I go out there, my mindset is I'm going to see deer today. And I almost feel like I can will myself to see deer on those days because I just feel like it's going to be good. So yeah, cold fronts uh, yeah, are, are not necessarily what they're cracked up to be in terms of deer movement. If you look at the research, so check out Lindsay's article and let's get a bunch of people mad at him again and sending them nasty messages. <laughs> so you're welcome, Lindsay. Um, here's another one that I thought of, Mike, that might be a little bit outside the box, and that is your time. So how many people do you know, like, let's say you're the average person out there that you got your week or two of vacation you can take. How many people were taking it the first couple weeks of October? I think only the the really hardcore dedicated early season hunters. I mean, I think the people that have cracked that code, and there are a few of them. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to drop a name here because if, if no one, everyone probably knows who they are, but if they haven't, but Jake Bush literally is probably in my opinion, one of the better early season deer hunters, because he understands thermals, weather, deer behavior, movement at that part of the season, very similar to other people might understand the rut. And so that came with time, experience, pushing the envelope and learning. And I think you can, you know, someone like that, if you, you know, they are known for by that second week in October, their tag has been punched. Yeah. There's a lot of ways to get it done, but yeah, for the most part, most people aren't out there. They're not hunting nearly as much. I know people that say, well, I don't even get the, I don't even get the bow out until first week in November. Okay, so you're missing all that time. So that's definitely a limiting factor. If you're pretty much limiting your time to getting out on a weekend or time or two, that's your odds are not, you're just not going to be good because you haven't been out there that much. Hunters were the original conservationist and First Light is proud to build on this legacy with their Camo for Conservation initiative. A portion of every sale of their Spectre Whitetail Camouflage will be passed on to the National Deer Association to help us support science-based deer management and advocate for healthy deer populations. And as the official apparel sponsor of the Field to Fork program, First Light is committed to protecting our hunting heritage by educating the next generation of hunter conservationists. In addition to the great work the company does giving back to conservation, I can personally attest to the quality of their products as I've been wearing First Light camo for several years. It is phenomenal. In addition to looking great, First Light has a layering system for any weather conditions you might encounter, helping you stay on stand longer and more comfortably. For more information, visit firstlight.com. All right, here's another one. Now, now we're getting into tactics. Now that we know the limiting factors, let's talk about tactics that are going to help you at this point. Okay, now again, these are all coming from the basis of science and a little bit of uh, experience from the doctor and I. We're getting a little long in the tooth. We've seen a lot, okay? So we do have some helpful information for you. Uh, I wrote it this way, Mike. Um, don't be a slave to what you think is happening. And so my point to that is a lot of times we just naturally have kind of our favorite spots, but then there's no sign. We haven't seen a deer there. Our cameras aren't showing us anything, but yet we still feel like we want to go there because it's just a good spot. It's always been a good spot. 
And so one thing, here's an example I'm going to bring up right now. I've been telling you for the past several weeks about all these freaking deer that are showing up on my place. Almost complaining about it because I don't want them to mow the food plots down to nothing before hunting season. Now, all of a sudden, about yeah, six, six to eight days ago, I'm not getting hardly any deer pictures. And these cameras are in the same place. And so people were like, man, I hear this all the time. They say, all the deer just disappeared. They must know it's deer season. Which I love <laughs> I, Listen, I've been told 10 million deer stories, and I love listening to deer hunters. I could listen all day long. It's, it's highly entertaining, and I'm sure I tell uh, entertaining and annoying stories, too. But uh, people say, how, how would a deer know when it's deer season? Well, you talked about it earlier, people walking around scouting. In Pennsylvania, there's so many spotlights around here. It looks like the high school football game in every field uh, you know, around you. So they're getting spotlighted and bothered all the time. So I can't imagine how they would ever know it was deer season. Uh, but anyway, um, listen, the deer left my place because I have cereal grains primarily. I've got some brassicas that they were eating. But I could tell you what's really happened. The minute they disappeared, I know what it was because I haven't been pressuring them. There's acorns falling somewhere. Sure. And Mike, this is the time of year that uh, acorns are king, aren't they? They, they are. They are like literally like a feature food. It's, it's you have to get while the getting is good. And that's really what's, what's going on in a lot of situations. And there's other times where once we start to get leaf drop, in like which we're going to be getting in the next couple of weeks, the woods are going to open up the cover and visibility changes. And so that makes deer change. So literally you have to be able to understand that and then adapt to it. And if, you know, for you, if you really wanted to target one of those deer, you, you know, you should be trying to find where they're going now. Yeah. I mean, I just heard, uh, I mentioned listening to the Wired to Hunt podcast, and I heard Tony Peterson talk about a bean field he was hunting near that is actually in three separate stages. It's a huge field. It's got green beans in it. It's got beans that are already brown and ready to cut, and it's got some that are yellow and in the middle. And so that almost is like, because those beans are in three separate stages, and they're in three different stages of palatability or interest level to deer, okay? But the biggest point is when acorns are hitting the ground, understand folks that deer are going to prioritize them okay especially your bucks that you're after a lot of people were like man i got this trail camera picture of this buck look at him at the end of september and three weeks later he looks like a freaking horse well they're gorging themselves on high protein foods like acorns uh, fattening up and getting prepared for the rut and that's exactly i can tell you it's exactly what's happened at my place and so two things that i want to caution you about here or explain number one don't panic when that happens, okay? The acorn drop is for a limited time. The deer know this. That's why they're prioritizing them so hard. They know it's not going to last forever. And when they're done with those, they're going to make their way back to those habitats that they're comfortable in. And at that point, I'm actually, in a way, I'm kind of glad that they left for now because we're going to get some rain. It's going to give my food plots a rest, a chance to regenerate a little bit. And they'll be there nice and lush whenever those deer return. So don't panic. But the main takeaway here is don't camp out in, in your, your quote, my hot spot, just because it's been your hot spot. If you've got room to move around, go out and find the hot food source. It's easy to find the trees that are getting that are uh, producing acorns and being hammered. I mean, you'll see the ground tore up. You'll think there were a thousand turkeys in there. The deer really get after them. 
you know, if, if you've been hunting a, a standing cornfield and it's been cut all of a sudden and the deer disappeared, it's not going to do you any good to continue to hunt there. So be flexible, be willing to move. And Mike, I'm interested in your opinion on this in-season scouting. I don't think people do enough of it. I think they get fixed, set on their ways, and they don't go out and see what's happening like right at the moment. Agree? I agree for the majority of individuals, yes. I mean, that's really something that is overlooked. And as you mentioned in regards to looking at the ground and seeing where things are torn up, woodsmanship is another big thing. I mean, have you, like when you go out to look for an, an oak tree that's dropping acorns, do you walk out in the woods very quietly, almost like in stealth mode, listening for those acorns to be hitting the ground and start to lead you in that direction if you don't know where they're at. So um, I agree, you you have to at times, and again, can you do it strategically? Do you need to get yourself in your full scent, minimize clothing and boots, et cetera, and pick it like, you know, middle of the day or during a rainstorm. I mean, it's it's miserable to walk in a rainstorm, but darn it, that's a great time to get out there and have a minimized effect on the pressure of, on your deer herd. So I've done it and I still, I still will do it to this day. Yeah, you gotta do it. I'm guilty of not doing it enough. I thought about going this evening, but I've seen some pretty decent deer movement. So I think I might hunt this evening instead, try to fill a doe tag, but we have rain coming. And so one of these next couple of days, I need to get out and I want I just want to find the acorns that these deer are hitting and see if they're on my land or if they're on this, the adjoining state land and just see where the deer have gone. I was hoping to get uh, Ron Hawes, friend of the show on today. He wasn't able to make it. He's ironically, he's doing habitat work. Uh, we'll get him on, but you, you brought up woodsmanship and I always think of Ron because you want to talk about most recent information. That guy is leading, reading leaf litter every time we walk through the woods. And he's, he'll see where a bunch of deer have come through and he'll say, this is where we're setting up. And so that's, that's the level of woodsmanship, uh, if you're willing to do it, that I think it takes, especially early season. Okay. Time to get people mad at us again, Mike. Oh, boy. Well, see, we're not going to get them mad at us. We're going to get them mad at the authors of all these articles. So I'm going to throw all my team under the bus here. <laughs> all right. The October law. All right, this is as controversial as what caliber is the best caliber, what bow is the best bow, what's the best broadhead, right? Research says that the October law actually doesn't exist. And the first article I'm going to point you toward, this is one by our very own Kip Adams. The title is Three Studies, Three Strikes for the October Law. And he cites in the article studies that were done in Louisiana, Maryland, and Texas, and what's really happening there is all of those studies show that deer activity steadily rises, approaching the peak rut, and then after the rut, it steadily declines. So that's the first one. And then the other one is, this is, this is from one of our podcasts. This is from Deer Season 365, Episode 9. Brian Grossman had on there, uh, the title of the show is How Hunting Pressure and Habitat Impacts Deer Movement with Dylan Stewart and Dr. Will Goolsby. That is Deer Season 365, Episode 9. So check those out. Mike, October Law, does it exist in your mind? Uh, well, this is one of those things where you have to, you know, define October Law, if you will. So if you are hunting the same way that you hunted on the first day of October, first day of the bow opener, you would swear up and down that there's an October Law. But if you understood exactly what deer are doing at that time of the year, 
I've shot deer mid-October. I've shot a lot of them mid-October. And how did I find them? And, uh, you know, everyone that listens to the show knows, you know, I run bird dogs. And so historically, when I was younger, I believed in the October law because when media came out, you know, like, you know, shows like, you know, Realtree and Mossy Oak, et cetera, in a lot of the Outdoor Life magazines types of things, you're like, oh, there's an October lull. Well, I didn't know any better. So I'm like, fine, I'll run the dogs. And I bumped more nice deer and grouse cover running the dogs and then going, well, shoot, I'm going to be here next Saturday. And, and I mean, that worked for me 25%. Like if I bumped a good deer with the dogs in grouse habitat and I went in, scouted it out and hunted, I, I saw I saw so many decent bucks mid-October and took some. So to me, Again, that's where we have to get out there and actually scout. But I taught myself that there's a you know chance to shoot a deer second, third week of October. You just have to know where they are. That's it. I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier, and it's being flexible. You talking about old hunting videos. This was another podcast. I'm talking about podcasts today on a podcast. Now it feels like that should be illegal. But uh, I was listening to the Drury podcast, and they had Roger Raglan on there. Mm-hmm. Those of us that are a little longer in the tooth, like the doctor and I will know who Roger Raglan is. He's still going. Uh, anyway, if you get a chance, listen to that. Uh, I was very entertained hearing Roger's story. I mean, he basically uh, was bankrupt trying to become, you know, hi- trying to do hunting videos and it all worked out in the end. So uh, anyway, give that a look. So, hey, here's some other things to consider. I mean, I think part of the the lull issue is number one, the deer have been pressured a little bit more, and so they may not be moving as far. So you got to know where they're at and be near them. Um, and then just other factors, you're probably not hunting as much or as hard either that time of year. Uh, other things to consider though, and these are things that you hear about. And here's here's one. Now you can be mad at Matt Ross. Matt Ross did an article that's titled "Regardless of Moon Phase, Bucks Move Most at Dawn and Dusk." All right, so all the people that are moon phase people are mad now. So you can direct your comments to Matt Ross, Matt at NDA, or Matt at DeerAssociation.com. Um, this is a good one. And, and, and embedded in his article, whenever you go to it, is a video that Lindsay did, uh, Lindsay Thomas, the four most important drivers of buck movement, uh, about a seven-minute video. Uh, so let's talk about those for a second. Matt goes into 10 different things. Uh, he he based what we're saying there is the research says no, no matter how much research you look at, none of it shows any correlation to when the rut is and very little to no correlation to when deer are moving. It, primarily, we see if you look at any chart, deer move at dawn, big spike, then it lulls off in the middle and they move at dusk. Okay, Anybody has trail cameras, but any length of time can attest to that. There are, of course, there are always exceptions to the rule. Um, and so Lindsay, to break them down to the four main ones, four most important drivers, food. And he mentions that that's different depending on the season, time of day, rut and hunting pressure. Those are the four main drivers, according to the science, according to the research that impact buck movement in particular. What do you think, Mike? Are these guys full of it? No, I have to say that, you know, we have to support what the research is saying. But with that being said, is there a factor that we have not been able to identify yet to then therefore measure? But with that being said, it might be a subtle thing that might 
tweak it just enough to have that deer move an extra 50 yards that that morning or that evening or that time of day from where they are so with that being said i've tried you know different moon things you know moon tools times like the app you know the apps have all of those things and me personally i haven't seen a strong enough correlation for me to delve into it any further but with that being said i'm always going to keep my ear open for an opportunity to better my chances and it might just be the fact that we have not been able to find and or measure that specific lunar impact on the herd potentially so i'll just leave it at that i think it's a great answer i used to be a big believer in the moon uh, charlie alzheimer's famous book white tales by the moon and i talked myself into everything that was in there uh, and so it was the, the QDMA that broke my heart and said, no, that's not correct. So anyway, um, you also said something though that I think is interesting. And so I always think of the famous line from the movie Dumb and Dumber that is, so you're saying there's a chance. And I'd be curious, this would be a good poll. Mike, if I told you, listen, I'm going to give you this trinket and this trinket will improve your chances of killing a big buck by one percent it's going to cost you a hundred bucks but it's going to improve your chances by one percent would you buy it yep sure would <laughs> that's my point sure would just because like the whole point is that you know we as individuals we're always looking for that little bit of an edge because deer have so many traits and behaviors that are designed to keep them out of the backs of our vehicles that we're always reaching and clawing for that next best thing. But, you know, as I always say, though, we should be looking at it very critically because I will have to say, and this is my own little soapbox to everybody, is I lost an easy decade and a half of good quality deer hunting because I put too much faith in what I was seeing in the media and so, you know, even though we're sitting here providing you media, providing you information, you still should really be critically thinking about everything we say, putting it in, does this apply to my situation? And literally, you have to put your own time in and develop your own style, your own knowledge, because you'll be much better at that, be, you know, maybe using some of the information we provide you, but tailoring it to your yourself and your situation. And... I, you know, blindly followed for a decade and a half, and those were, that was the worst decade and a half of my hunting career. Yeah. I'm off my soapbox now. Yep. No, it's good. Don't, yeah. Don't be that guy I talked about at the beginning of the podcast. The negative Nelly. No, you were. No. No. No, I, I hear what you're saying. There's a lot of stuff out there. It's designed to sell magazines and books and all that. Uh, and so that's why people get frustrated sometimes with research and science and, uh, and, the doctor is being a scientist here too, but he's, he's saying his, he's asking more questions. Are there more questions to be answered? And that's kind of what science is. Right. Um, and you also get a lot of times uh, you ask, uh, if I asked any one of our biologists on staff and I said, asked them about whatever you pick the topic and they would probably start off by saying, well, it depends, which is the classic answer you're going to get from people who study things. And so there are a lot of things that depend on many other things to make things happen in the deer woods. Incidentally, I mentioned hunting pressure. Probably haven't talked enough about that. Uh, research says, Mike, if you hunt a stand, and there's there's more than one uh, data point on this, but or more than one study on this. But if you if you go out, Mike, and hunt a stand tonight, 
it's going to take between two and four days to recover in terms of pressuring deer in that spot. Do you think that would surprise a lot of people? Yes. Yes, I think it would. I think it would surprise a, a, a whole heck of a lot of people. Yeah. So if you're someone, I mean, again, this is not camping out at a pinch point during the rut. And you know, if you just sit there every day, you're going to see a deer because the deer you kill might be from two miles away. All right. Uh, but definitely overhunting a spot is a real thing. Okay. So let's go ahead and, and wrap it up this way. Uh, Mike, you and I are both going to give what our primary strategies are to be successful this time of year. Okay. okay and I'll give you mine. Uh, number one is to hunt smarter, not harder. When I was in my 20s and early 30s, I, I don't know how many hours I put in stands, but it was way too many. And I didn't care if it was terrible conditions or it didn't matter. Uh, I was hunting. I don't do that anymore. So I try to pick my spots. It keeps me from burning out. And it definitely keeps me from overhunting stands that we just talked about. Uh, be flexible. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure I'm good at this yet. I should be better at it, but definitely you need to be thinking about if I'm not seeing what I'm expecting to see where I'm at, then I need to move somewhere else. If the deer disappear from where you've been hunting, go find them. They didn't just leave the planet. They didn't get abducted by aliens. All right, uh, they're they're out there. You just have to go find them. Uh, keep the wind in your face. That's an always. You can pressure deer without even knowing you're pressuring deer. You're setting up in a stand and the wind is bad. And you may not see a deer and you feel like you didn't spook anything, but you might have spooked deer because they smelled you. So that's that's a that's a hundred percent of the time of the thing uh a hundred percent of the time factor. Uh and I think I already said this. Don't burn out your best stands for whenever deer are starting to move more. Things pick up in the deer woods. And finally, shoot does. I'm trying to fill at least a couple doe tags here if I can early season. And uh, then I'll be focusing a little bit on antlers. So that's my primary strategies. And uh, if I'm advising somebody, that's what I would tell them to do. Okay, I'll uh, jump in with, um, first and foremost, if you're unsure of where you should be hunting in the next two weeks, if you do not have intel or data from previous trail cameras, I would strongly recommend you go for a walk. And you really try and find where the deer are now and break that down. And, and that even if that's with your stand or, you know, your saddle and sticks on your back and get up there and hunt. So literally be a predator. Predators are constantly wandering around trying to find where's my prey at and how can I hunt them right here. And, and if you don't know where you should be sitting now, that's a really good way to actually get yourself into some action. And then as you're in that action, pay attention and learn so that you can actually predict it for next year and be there without having to go through and do all the scouting aspect of it. The second thing I'd say is go back again and look at your trail camera pictures from uh, previous years if you have them. One thing that I'm seeing and I'm going to be doing is, and I'm gonna I'm gonna you know tell you right now, and Nick knows this, either on either and or on October 14th, 15th, and 16th, I'm going to be sitting over one of my best scrapes because for the past five years I've had multiple three and a half plus age class bucks do this October scrape check where I, I get them on almost every mock scrape on my property. And it's always within that three day window. So I'm, you know, that's using old historical data to put myself in a situation before the deer get there. And then the last thing, even though a lot of things we were talking about might have some negative connotations to you or give you like a negative feel is that this should be fun. 
I mean, it's we're talking, trying to make you and give you tips to be successful from what we've used or what we've experienced or the science, but spending time in the woods, in my opinion, is never a bad thing. So if you just want to go out and have some fun, you can only hunt on Saturdays, then God almighty, go ahead and go and have fun and just enjoy yourself. Yeah, I love how you ended that. I also like the analogy you made between a predator. If a bobcat's just going to sit on the same stump every day, it's not going to be very successful catching chipmunks and mice, right? Exactly. They got to go find the food and we should act the same way and not be not be lazy about it, which, you know, I'm guilty of that myself sometimes. All right, folks, we gave you a lot here today, a lot of science, a lot of research to back what we're saying, some of our own personal observations. As the doctor said, have fun. That's critical. That's the main thing. And do you, you do, do you, I guess, is the, is the way the statement goes. Uh, if you like hunting a certain phase of the moon, do it. If you like hunting, um, you know, the same stand over and over and over again, then do it. You know, do what works for you. Have fun. You can ignore everything we said. Hopefully you, you can take some of it and find it useful. And that's the beautiful thing about this is everybody can sort of do their own thing. And as a community, we're out there having fun participating in management of the resource. Speaking of which, Mike, I, I, was, I said I might, I'm probably going to hunt this evening. I got a south southeast wind, and that's a good wind for the gas well plot to fill a doe tag. But then I was thinking maybe I should go walk around and scout and said, what would you do? I would say I would hunt this evening, and then we have rain coming for the next three days. You can walk when it's raining. All right. That's the other thing you can do, folks. Phone a friend. The doctor and I are always discussing strategy and giving each other advice. All right. Listen, folks, uh, I was going to make a joke and say, hey, there's a big cold front coming across the country, but that would defeat the, everything that we just said. Uh, anyway, so yeah, there is a big cold front coming. Uh, anyway, hopefully you're going to be out there hunting. Um, and so, uh, Mike, what are your hunting plans here before we get into the ending here? I am going to resharpen that broadhead that I used last Saturday, and I am waiting until, like I said, uh, for me, October 14th, 15th, and 16th. I'm saving my energy and focus for those days, and whichever of those three days I can get out, if I can get out all three, I will, but that's really what I'm banking on next, because I have meat in the freezer. This next set of hunts is going to be for, you know, an age class of buck that is going to get me excited, and I, I'm pretty excited about that option because I have the pictures in the historical data that says, you know, I have a chance and I have a pretty darn good one. All right. So that's hunting smarter, not harder. And meat in the freezer is good. Hey, a few announcements from NDA folks. Um, our content is through the roof this time of year. Uh, we have things on every one of our platforms. Get to our website, deerassociation.com or Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, threads, TikTok. We have all of those. And there's a lot happening on every single one of them. This is truly the Super Bowl of our of our season, of our time of year. Okay, uh, so we got a lot out there. There's too many. A lot of times, I'll mention a few articles to check out. There's too many to mention, so just check them all out. Uh, and also consider becoming a member or supporting us if you're not already. That's a chance for you to give back to the animal that I'm sure has impacted your life in some way. So, again, a chance to give back. Send us your hunting photos and stories. We might even have you as a guest. you got a good story. We'd love to have you on. I always like to tell hunting stories, especially this time of year. And that's what coffee and deer is all about, sharing stories and uh, having a good time. Thank you again for listening, folks. We do appreciate it. Please consider leaving us a, re a review if you haven't already. 
National Deer Association, where we are united for deer. Thank you.